Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hello, this is Nancy. Welcome to Aging Life, my show about all things aging. Today, I'm talking with my colleague, Chris Dunlap, about the hands-on, in-the-weeds, nitty-gritty work of managing caregivers who are caring for those we love and care about. We, you know, family members are often the ones that oversee the care being provided to a loved one in their home. When an agency caregiver is brought in, there is generally a care coordinator or supervisor that manages the schedule and periodically conducts visits. Even in these instances, there are actions you can take to ensure that excellent care is being provided. If working with a privately hired caregiver, families have even more actions they should consider doing to oversee and manage a loved one's care, again, to ensure that your loved one's getting the best care possible. My guest, life care manager, Chris Dunlap, spent more than 20 years in the home health and home care arena in which the last seven years included direct oversight of home care staff. Today, she works with families, assisting them with that oversight, as well as many other matters, medical and otherwise. Chris is both a nurse, um, she's an RN, she's a certified rehab nurse, and a life care manager. She's a wealth of information for anyone who is working with non-medical home care providers, and she has agreed to join us to discuss how best to manage those caring for our loved ones in their home. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for joining me on Aging Life. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks for having me this morning. So um, I want to begin by talking about some things generally, whether a person, uh, a family hires agency, home care, or private home care. What are some of the general information, just before we get started, that people should be aware of and keep in mind, um, talk to our listeners about bringing care into the home? Sure. Well, um, you know, some of those regulations differ state to state, so it would definitely depend on the state you're in. Um, And that depends on what the caregiver can and can't do. Um, Usually people are in crisis mode by the time they're calling and wanting caregivers. Um, So it is important to know what they can and can't do in your own state. So, um, for example, you know my famous story we've known (laughs) for a while, whereby I fly in from New Mexico to Massachusetts, where my mother lives, and drive her to a Thanksgiving event in upstate New York, different state. Um, We have caregivers that have come in, but we haven't asked the critical question. Can they provide personal care to a senior who is in the state temporarily? 
The answer is no, not without a physician's order. Okay, I'll get a physician's order. No, it has (laughs) to be a New York State licensed physician. It was a very difficult five day Mm -hmm. with a parent who needed significant help and care and caregivers who couldn't even touch her, couldn't even touch her. So we sent them home. Anyway, so, so it's important for people to know the state they're dealing with. It's important for them. And, and also, even, even, um, even if it's the same state, the whole issue of personal care gets pretty tricky, does it? It can, yes. What may seem routine to uh, your loved one's daily care, there are things in that routine that may not be allowed by the state for a caregiver to execute. So it's really important. um, Say, for example, your family member checks their blood pressure daily. Not all states will approve a caregiver to check the blood pressure without a doctor's order. Or they may even require a skilled person to check a blood pressure. Um, So there are those little nuances that definitely have to be examined. And asking lots of questions, of course, is going to be the best way to know what is and is not allowed. What's a skilled, how would you define in home care? So the difference between skilled and um, non-medical is skilled care requires a nurse or a physical therapist, somebody with the degree and um, license to back them. And that that goes into being able to assess, for example, blood pressures. A caregiver without that background, although many of them would know just from experience, um, they're technically not able to assess what that finding is. If the blood pressure is 160 over 90, they can just report it. They don't know what to do about that. Okay. They may be able to take the blood pressure, but they can't do anything about it. Exactly. All they can do is report those numbers. Okay. And we're hearing more and more about people that are home health aides versus versus others. Right. <laughs> is that just is that just um, um, a designation? Uh, it doesn't really relate to skilled or regulation. It can. Again, we're talking state to state. Um, usually, uh, home health aid is somebody that has some type of training. A certified nurse's aide has more training with a test, which allows them to be certified. And then you have caregivers who are usually experienced, but they have no formal training. Okay. And those would typically be more the, um, you know, companion, cooking, lighthouse mm-hmm. keeping. But exactly. when you start getting into more personal care, hands-on care, it, it can be helpful to get a home health aide or a CNA. Absolutely, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, so, in, so personal care is one area. Medication is mm. another area that can be tricky. Um, Definitely. 
Um, there are, <laughs> it's a lot of, it, it's uh, state managed again. Um, most states do not allow a caregiver um, to actually hand medication to a client. It has to be what we call pre-poured, which just means that it's been dosed or set and organized by someone else and the caregiver can take that pre-dosed set of medications and offer them to the client. It so pills in a cup or mm-hmm. pills in a medication box right. that either the family or some other licensed person, if it's not a family member, has to set up the med box. Let's just That's correct. And right. the caregiver can remind them and or hand them the box. They can have the medications can be placed on a plate, uh-huh. the table, some way um, where that caregiver is not directly handing them to the client. Yeah. Oh boy. And you know, um, med management used to be the number one reason to move to facilities, and we now have so many ways of managing medications in people's homes, including electronic boxes that exactly that um, people should not be moving people because of med issues. Um, but it can be, it's pretty frightening when you walk into a home and you see a big basket of medication bottles. It can I'm be sure overwhelming. You, I'm sure you've seen that many times, yes. <laughs> but that's another topic. Let's move on. So um, I would add to um, just, um, you know, that, if, if you're bringing people in for the first time, it's good to um, think about valuables that are in the home. You don't want to think ill of people, but reality is um, you shouldn't have um, fine jewelry sitting in a drawer or, or you should at least be inventorying or videotaping or something. You know, the Maria pot, some people don't <laughs> right. understand how, how valuable that is. Um, should probably be removed. Absolutely. Um, You know, I always do tell clients that we can do extensive background checks, um, but people may have a history of this and haven't gotten caught. So, you know, there's to minimize the temptation. Yeah, is best. So even in the world of fiduciaries, um, dual control is a standard. Mm -hmm. Don't go into someone's safe deposit box or into their home without two people. It's just it's just a standard. Um, Right. And here you have you're essentially inviting a stranger into your home to care for your loved one. So that of itself can be very overwhelming and it takes trust and um, communication with the agency if you are going through an agency. You know, that, that, that was not one of my questions, but since you bring it up, um, that is very often the resistance that seniors have to bringing care into the home is um, these are strangers. How does, how do you, when you're in the role of care manager or how have you seen good agencies help people get over that resistance? I have found the good agencies really want to know little details about the client. Getting to know the client and their family 
is instrumental in providing the right fit for a caregiver. Um, and that communication is really huge. Any agency that is open and willing to have that communication are most likely going to be your best bets. So that creates um, some kind of trust that they work. Absolutely. And, you know, knowing that, again, background checks aren't going to be 100%, um, but knowing that they take the time to get to know their caregivers as well, doing background checks. Do they do um, pre-onboarding training or are they just hiring someone off the streets just to put a warm body out to fill a schedule? Um, that, <laughs> that shows a difference. Um, the companies that do invest in their caregivers and provide them with not only pre-onboarding, but ongoing training also. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's good to ask what kind of training do you provide? Right. Yes. I imagine there are different, a lot of different considerations when hiring through an agency, certainly versus uh, a private caregiver. So let's, let's stay on this agency conversation um, and talk a little bit more about some of the things folks should be aware of or questions they might ask when considering an agency generally. Mm -hmm. um, of course, you've mentioned a couple. How do you do your sure. training? Mm -hmm. um, how do you conduct ongoing supervision? Uh, you know, this is not only are you inviting a stranger into your home, but they have no oversight. You don't bring a supervisor with them that's managing what they're doing minute to minute. Um, how does the company oversee that caregiver? Are they making monthly visits? Do they have a care plan? How do you know what the caregiver is expected to do? Um, I, and this care plan is different from like what a care manager would put in place. Um, a care plan in this situation really is um, a list of the expectations. What does the family and the client, if they're able to communicate that, what are their expectations of the time that the caregiver is there? Do they want the dishes cleaned in the sink? Maybe not. Maybe those dishes can stay there until the daughter gets home. Maybe they want that caregiver to play games with the client during the day, put together puzzles. Every family has very different expectations and a agency needs to take the time um, to learn those expectations, put it in writing, and then the caregivers know. Um, what is their policy on call-offs? Can they guarantee that if a caregiver calls off, can they guarantee that they will find coverage? Um, that oftentimes becomes very sticky situation if uh, family members live out of state and there's a call off. There's nobody there to go sit with their mom who has dementia and has a history of turning the stove on. What is that agency going to do to make sure that client remains safe? Right. How much time do they guarantee within the hour? So right. There. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's very important. And sometimes the smaller agencies are, are nice in that the owner will just get up and go. That is very true. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they have 
um, caregivers that are specifically paid to be on call. Oh, so that's, so that's a good question. Do you have on-call caregivers to cover something? Because um, you certainly don't want to be left in a position of nobody showing up. Well, it is one of the probably a primary reason. There's several reasons why people would go with an agency versus uh, a private caregiver. But one of the benefits, of course, is the assumption that if a caregiver is sick, there will be someone to fill in. There's backup. That's correct. Backup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so asking what they can and cannot do, um, asking how they how they onboard their staff, mm-hmm. how they how you know what's your criteria for a caregiver. Um, I, I like to ask um, how many caregivers do you have. Um, and me. how many clients do you serve? And how many clients do you serve? <laughs> yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what are some of the things folks should be aware of while we're asking that? Um, and then how do they do the match? You know, so how well do they vet mom? Mm-hmm. And her preferences and who she is and how hard do they work at matching? Yeah, that's, that was always, um, when I worked uh, in home care, I was the one that would do the admit for the client. Yes. Um, and I could go into a home and talk with a client for 10 minutes. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, so-and-so would be perfect. Oh, so-and-so would work great out here. So, you know, somebody who knows their caregivers and knows what they, some excel at other things that others may. Everybody has different strengths. Right. So whatever their niche is and meeting clients and knowing, you know, you get a feel of the family and, I'm not, I was never a hundred percent, but I was pretty good at doing good matches. I think um, it comes back to if it's agency, the agency's knowing who their caregivers are. That's really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And also I always told families, if it's, if this is not a good match, you need to tell me, Um, don't just keep pushing through. Don't tell me five weeks from now. Well, you know, we never really liked never really her. clicked, right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's good to give it a second chance, but after that, if it's not a good fit, don't make yourself push through it because your time is going to be miserable with that person. Well, and what's nice, I mean, and the again, a benefit of the agency is that they don't have to tell that person. They, they, can, call, right. they can call you, the in-house person, who will just make the change. It, it, yes. No harm, no foul. And that's the biggest thing is, oh, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Oh, you know, there's. They, yeah. Yeah. So um, I can't believe we already have to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some red flags that you're going to um, let people know about. We're going to talk a little bit more about working with private caregivers. I think that's something that, 
a lot of families are now hoping to do, wanting to do. And um, yeah, so we still have more to come. I'm here with Chris Dunlap. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. So, um, we whether we have agency in place or a private caregiver in place, there has to be some red flags that you can share with us um, that families should know about, you know, that, that tell you that there's something wrong and um, a change needs to happen. Some questions definitely should be asked. Yeah. You know, there's the obvious. There's uh, any physical changes, bruising, um, emotional or mental changes. Uh, if the if your loved one becomes more withdrawn, if they start stating things that may or may not be true, even with a, with a family member who has dementia, you should always listen and investigate. Um, don't ever just put things off that, oh, it's their dementia. Um, you know, if they're telling you that uh, somebody borrowed $300 from them, pay attention, ask, let the agents, if it's agency, let the agency know um, their time there. Sometimes they may ask the client to sign their timesheet. There's always some documentation and way to back that up. And it usually requires the signature of the client. Um, and if your loved one is saying, well, Susie took 
asked me to sign her papers, said she was here till five, but she really left at three. Um, that should be reported. Any, any red flags that if your gut tells you something's not right, just call the agency and let them know. It's their job to find out. And don't ever be afraid to say, I don't want that person back. That is your right. You don't have to accept the people that they send. Um, just pay attention to those things. Mm-hmm. And have that communication before it blows up. Yes. Did you, um, did you ever have families ask about putting in a nanny cam? Um, we have families that have nanny cams or cameras throughout the house. Uh, I myself have no problem with it. I don't think any agency would have a problem with it if they're confident in their caregivers. Um, you know, those cameras should be in common places, not in the bathroom or, you know, things, places where private things take place. Um, unless, of course, you specifically have a concern that something's taking place there. Um, but I would definitely communicate that with the agency. And I guess my last agency-related question, I, I have always appreciated the companies that put um, communication tools in the home, and that would be just for one caregiver to share with another or to provide notes about what occurred during their shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've always asked for void logs, nutrition logs. What did they eat? You know, when did they last um, use the bathroom and why? And although that sounds intrusive, it can be, it can be a red flag just in terms of your client's health. Sure, right. Um, And those, you know, there is, like I said earlier, there is always some type of documentation. Um, Some agencies have gone total electronic technology, which includes GPS and tracking that caregiver during their time um, with the client. But Nancy, as we know, <laughs> they have learned to bypass those things. Um, one the, ba- the bad ones, yeah. Right. Uh, you know, we had the one caregiver that put, left the phone on top of the refrigerator while she left for a couple hours. Um, things happen, even with all these tools in place. Um, but the documentation, it can take different forms. Um, all you need to do is ask for that. And, and families should ask for that and receive that. Absolutely. They Uh, have the right to know how the shift has gone with their parent. Yeah. And, and I would say the more detailed the care plan, I I mean, I I remember, um, you know, I mean, there were times when I would put a big calendar on a counter and just say every Monday, I want the fridge cleaned. Mm -hmm. Tuesdays, I want the house vacuum, you know, different things. Right can't do heavy housekeeping, but there are things that they can do. And, and unless you instruct them to do them periodically, they may never get done. <laughs> right. And you know, as well as I do, you have your caregivers, the ones that are going to go over and beyond just because that's who they are. Um, and you're going to have the caregivers that are going to do the very bare minimum, just enough to 
check off that task off the care plan. Um, so I have this conversation so often, um, you know, just because Monday's care plan or caregiver uh, takes the client for a drive and they go for a walk. That's not necessarily on the care plan. And so Wednesday's caregiver isn't going to do that. doesn't mean that they are any less valuable, but um, you have to understand that there are those caregivers that really truly love what they do and they will go over and beyond. And then you have those that um, are there to finish their shift and move on. Right. And so it's helpful to have a list of the things they they must do. Exactly. Whether they do it or not. Otherwise, they're going to just be sitting on the couch watching TV. Well, those are the ones we hear the complaints about for That's sure. That's right. That's yeah. right. So when you visit, when you do a visit, what what are some of the things you're looking for in regards to the care? Right. Um, so that that would depend on the care plan. Um, if I go in and see a sink full of dishes, I need to know whether dishes are on the care plan. If they're not, do I need to get it on there? Um, every household has different expectations. So depending on those expectations, that's what I'm looking for. Of course, right off the bat, I want to know, is my client clean, comfortable, safe, and happy? Um, The other things come with that. I like to be able to see the interaction with caregivers and the client. Um, Is it kind of a strained conversation that they're having or is it easy going and they're able to talk freely um does the caregiver hover is the caregiver afraid to leave me alone with the client that's all can be a red flag Um, what is the caregiver doing while i'm there are they comfortable proceeding with their routine do they go ahead and do the dishes while i'm there um Usually, I pick up on things. It's usually the interactions that I see with the caregiver and client. Um, And then making sure that they're following the care plan. And you look for skin integrity and bruising. Absolutely, right. Um, Is this a client who sits in the recliner all day watching TV? I'm going to ask the caregiver, when you shower, what's the skin look like? We probably need to get him up a couple times a day, have him walk to the kitchen, you know. Um, I am not a big <laughs> supporter of the TV watching. I, if you're, you, one of the things you have to remember is you are paying for this service. Are you okay paying for the caregiver to sit there and watch TV with your loved one for six hours a day? I'm not. Unless, of course, that's what the, the, your family member normally does. But, you know, let's engage. Let's go for a walk. Let's write a letter to somebody. Let's fold some laundry. Um, there's lots of ways to incorporate um, that relationship into the caregiving. Very good. Yeah. yeah. I would agree. Um, 
And so let's let's move on and talk about private caregivers. There's um, uh, more of that. I know you have some experience with that, although that wasn't in your work purview. But um, I know there are families who ask that of you and um, and you have worked with the family as they bring someone in. And so what are the types of things that you might recommend? I mean, some of the things we've just talked about that the documentation, those sorts of things have to be set up by either the family or um, their life care manager if they're working with a professional so can you talk about the, what additional oversight and management would be required? Sure. Um, you know, usually the biggest reason people want to go private is they think cost, that they're saving money. Um, you have to weigh the differences. As we mentioned earlier, when you have an agency, you have backup. If your caregiver calls off, you hopefully have backup. With private caregivers, you may not have that unless you have a couple of private caregivers on call. Um, you have to consider things such as uh, taxes, benefits for that caregiver. Um, one thing a lot of people may not realize, and we talked a little bit about theft, um, going through an agency, they're bonded. Um, they usually um, can reimburse to a certain extent um, the level of, of theft that may have taken place. That's not going to happen with a private caregiver. Mm-hmm. Although with a private caregiver, um, you do uh, spend less. Um, they're not expensive as an agency. Um, there, you can bypass certain things such as the hours worked. If you're wanting a 24-hour caregiver, um, hiring them privately, you may be able to have that caregiver as a live-in. Not all agencies provide live-in services. And then even with that, there are certain rules that have to be followed by, um, uh, you know, the Department of, um, of I'm sorry, I drew. Labor, probably. Department of, of Labor. Of Labor, yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, so they can only work so many hours without a break. And um, private caregivers tend to um, become more family-like. They are more involved uh, with the families. Um, sometimes private caregivers are someone that you already knew before, and um, they are available or they would very much like to, to help you. Um, private caregivers, again, don't have any oversight except yourself as the family or the client. Um, and so you do need to have those things in place. Expectations. Yeah, I would imagine because of that, sorry to interrupt, because no, that, it would be important to check references. Absolutely. Right. You have to do a little more footwork on your own, um, you know, because the agency, when they're hiring people, they're doing the training, they're doing the background checks with private caregivers you're going to be going on what they tell you. Yes, I've had training, um, you know, 
you produce uh, proof of that? Where, where do you have certificates? Um, and you can do background checks online. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, in some parts of the country, mostly on the coasts, there are companies now that are developing what they call an employment agency model where you can go to them and hire private caregivers that they have done the vetting and the background check. Right, and they have a pool. And then they have a pool and you either pay them a referral fee or you pay them, you know, a couple dollars an hour fee. You know, they're they're all different. But um, I imagine we will see more of that in the future, which will be helpful. The I agree. The thing about private caregivers is you're supposed to, legally, federally, pay them under the federal payroll system, right. mm-hmm. which which um, stops a lot of families because they don't want to deal with that. And so we'll, we'll give a shout out to HomePay.com, which is now owned by Care.com, and you can contract with HomePay.com and uh, who really needs to sponsor this show. Um, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I use them all the time for families and recommended them all the time. But um, for a a small monthly fee, they will do all the payroll, all the taxes. Mm -hmm. I think they'll even set up some kind of workers' comp policy, make sure that that you're appropriately insured in the event that, you know, a caregiver gets hurt. I will say that, because um, we've got to go to another break, but before we do so, I, do so, I, I get to tell another story about my mom, um, who I love dearly and passed a year ago. Um, my sister lived with my mother, but she worked, and we had, she had two private caregivers, and it worked really well. It worked out very nicely, and the two of them worked relatively well together. And so if one needed to be somewhere and take time off, the other would fill in. And and uh, it was a nice arrangement. And they, as my mother needed more care, they expanded their hours, ultimately working 12 hours a day. And, yes, I think that whole overtime thing may have been not handled. Mm-hmm. Way, you know. Because they were private. Right. Um, But some families do feel um, happier knowing that more money is going directly to the private care person. And that's typically um, the response I get for people who are looking for private caregivers. Their their response is that they would much rather pay the caregiver directly then half of that be going to an agency. But you have to consider the oversight and the groundwork that the agent do also. So it's, you know, you've got to balance what's important to you. And well, frankly, I think if, if you, a private caregiver would work if you have somebody, a family member on the ground, really overseeing them. Right. If you're, if you're an out-of-town family member, it would probably be best to have a professional um, geriatric care manager, life care manager in place to handle some of that oversight. Absolutely. We've Rather. seen plenty of cases where exploitation, neglect, yeah. 
happens when there is no oversight with private yes, There has to be oversight, both yeah. sides of the house. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take our last break. Um, Chris, I appreciate you um, hanging in there and mm-hmm. providing all this information when we come back. We'll um, we'll finish up this conversation and uh, and just make those last points for our listeners. We'll be right back. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi. So um, for those of you who are still with us, there was apparently a power outage at the um, at the main office or whatever it is with Voice America. Um, so for the, those of you who are live listeners, I apologize. I hope you're still with us. I am here today with Chris Dunlap, who is a geriatric care manager, life care manager, aging life care manager, um, where that profession is going through somewhat of a transition in terms of um, how they define themselves. But Chris is an RN. She's also a certified rehab nurse, um, has worked um, the last few years uh, with families in a bigger and broader way. One of her um, unique strengths and qualifications uh, outside of rehab work, which is a pretty big, unique qualification, is home care, where she spent 20 years as a home health nurse, uh, about 13 of those as a home health nurse, and then the last seven um, doing quality assurance and general oversight of caregivers in the home. And so she has a lot of experience with that. and. When, um, you know, family members are doing this on their own, 
there's a lot that, you know, there's a steep learning curve. And we, you know, we hate to make mistakes at our loved one's expense. And so we're here today trying to give you a heads up on um, some of the things to think about and look for. Um, We've talked about some of the red flags. Um, Listen to your loved one. If If they don't like the person or they're complaining about the person, just find another person. Um, it, it, you know, I, I do know that um, some of our loved ones who have a dementia do sometimes have um, what we would call paranoid features. You know, everyone's stealing from me and and all of that. But but there's a certain quality to a complaint about another person in your home that's providing mm-hmm. care, wouldn't you say, Chris? Absolutely, yes. Um, You know, just because someone has dementia and they're saying something is going on, give it credence, look into it. Um, Don't, even with the history of comments like that, you may overlook something and then before you know it, you know, the whole jewelry box is gone or something. Yeah, and I I would say, um, yeah, and we don't mean to just be totally negative about it. No, not at all. There are a huge number of caregivers who love what they do, who uh, embrace what they do. Now, there's also, um, here I go getting negative again, but, you know, this show is about... um, as much about the red flags and the things to watch for as it is about, because, you know, the good, fabulous ones, you'll know who they are and and it'll be wonderful. But, um, you know, if you're doing it on your own and you have a private person, you're going to have to set up all the stuff. Um, uh, You might set up a medication form where they check off so that you know meds were taken today, mm-hmm. um, that mom or dad or sister or brother has, has had, you know, they've been to the restroom and um, they've been showered and all of that. But I think also, uh, you know, there's, there's just... There's just something to be said about the oversight. And of course, I've, I've lost my train of thought, so... We'll just keep going. (laughs) Well, it's very true. Um, You know, oversight is huge. If you're not available to oversee the care of your loved one, find someone who is. A neighbor, a care manager. A sibling. A sibling, yes. Somebody who. The the thought came back to me. Thank (laughs) God for recall memory. Um, the other, the other thing is that um, there are caregivers who tend to, particularly, not even private, even even agency caregivers, who will become enmeshed with your loved one. Yes, they begin to see themselves as the great protector. Mm-hmm. So, for example, mom you know, has dementia, maybe it's a paranoid feature, maybe it's just she's just generally talking because now she has this, you know, person who she can confide in and she's saying negative things about you, the daughter, mom is. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the caregiver is thinking of you not in, you know, in negative terms. And when you call, you're never able to reach your mother. 
She's mm-hmm. sleeping. She's in the shower. She's in the bathroom, whatever. But you start to get this sense that this caregiver is keeping you from blocking you. I mean, this is actually a phenomenon mm-hmm. that happens. Yep. Um, they might take them to the bank. Um, they might take them to a lawyer to mm-hmm. have your name removed from documents. I mean, I, I've seen caregivers who have had themselves named as power mm-hmm. of attorney and had, my, you know, and some ding dong lawyer um, allows the caregiver to bring mom in, knows they're a caregiver, mm-hmm. may even let them sit in the room, God knows, um, and and makes that change. Um so that can get really bizarre. I mean, there was someone you and I worked with together, Chris, mm-hmm. on, a, on a very important client of yours, I know. And um, she, she was, oh, I know, she didn't want him to move to a facility. And so she was creating obstacles for that mm-hmm. and then visiting him and then taking him from the facility on our own time and driving him back to his house where he would become even more upset and say, I want to go home. Yeah, it was just a mess. And so just notice that if somebody is, you want them to not hover, you want them to not be overly protective, you want them to have good boundaries. and that's and, what it is. It's boundaries. Yeah. yeah. Love your loved one, but not too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And any good caregiver, because I've worked with many, many over the years, and the best ones are the ones that, you know, it sounds cold, but it's the ones that do not get that involved you know once they become that protective person who thinks that they could do better for that person than the own, their own family um and that could go two ways also um but that's definitely a red flag you need right or they're calling one sibling and saying things about the other sibling. Right. They could be pitting one against yeah. the other. Um, but also, you know, from a supervision point of view, if the caregiver is hearing questionable things about the family too, because we have had families that are exploiting our clients. Sure. Um, so, yeah. you know, that's where that oversight comes in. So, so yeah. So, we had this gap in in uh, the show today. I don't know yeah. how they'll fix that for the podcast, but um, I had two more things before we go because we only have a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, one is we didn't talk a lot about nutrition, and um, you and I during the break, during our long break, were discussing how we, we didn't mention that and the fact that, you know, too many people are fed frozen food dinners. Right. Um, Sometimes the responsibilities of the caregiver is to do the shopping and food prep. If they're, if you're paying them, they should be making meals, not just getting, um, you know, a frozen dinner and popping it in the microwave, Mm -hmm. making nutritious, well-balanced meals. 
My other is a question, general question. Should I, as a family member, should I be able to call the caregiver directly if I'm working with an agency? You really should not. You should have all communication go through the agency. Um, those are That's one of those boundaries that becomes very sticky. There's a gray area. I myself prefer that all communication come through the person providing oversight, not directly to the caregiver. Okay. All right. Anything else we need to summarize or say before I start thanking sponsors and you and... And all of that. Um, I, you know, I would just comment that I know we talked a lot about the red flags and I don't want that to scare anyone off Um, with the right agency and the right caregivers, um, whether it's private or through an agency, what, what it comes down to is providing your loved one the best care possible. Just be aware of those red flags. Don't let it prevent you from getting the help that you may need. Correct. Whether you live far away or you live uh, down the street. Yeah. In fact, um, there, you know, most of what we're talking about today is privately paid for. um, And I know there are a lot of caregivers, families, members who are caregivers themselves. Mm -hmm. Don't take breaks, which we encourage. Um, But I think we've talked about that in other shows, how to pay for that or find that or anyway, we'll we'll have to let that lie. Um, I do want to thank you, Chris Dunlap, for um, uh, Life Care Manager with Aging Life LLC um, for joining me today and discussing this important topic. Um, I want to do a shout out to TrueLink Financial, who is a sponsor of this show, and also Decades Group, who is a sponsor of the show. In the next several weeks, we will be checking in on um, seniors' mental health after a year of near isolation, as well as discussing such topics as guardianship, long-term care insurance, hospital discharge um, events, um, and many other topics. I want, I want everybody to have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.